Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Stanley Hubbard from the state of Indiana, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Corder from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Yusuf Al Ford from the state of Indiana, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege made to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508, or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. There are over 1,800 live shows on that website at this hour, and you will consistently find this radio show on pages 1 through 4 of that website. You'll find it on page 1 on the website this evening. I just looked at it before we came on the air. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can send your uh, comments to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call Stevie B, Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-691 I'm sorry, 910-491-6405. Now again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day. 
and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be with my co-hosts on the show this evening, Glenn McMillian and Brian Christian Goldman, as they break into our listeners, the bread of life. And also my co-host, Yusuf Al Ford, who will be answering the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you'll bless them and that support and them and their families that continue to support their efforts. They may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will be with our listeners who are tuning in via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you, and that their hearts may be prayed. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're just so grateful for his sacrifice on Calvary's cross. For without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we praise you and continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful until death, Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. In the first segment of the broadcast, my co-host Brian Christian Coleman, he serves as the assistant minister with the Morristown Church of Christ in Morristown, New Jersey. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, we have a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out that I'll be posing to my co-host, Yusuf Al Ford. He serves as the evangelist for the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. He'll be answering our question for that segment. And then to close out the show, my co-host Glenn McMillian, he serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas, and he'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles now and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice should be that of my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Show. 
the work of love's on the line. Come on and spin the line. Let us gather just for a crown of love's in the line. Come on and spin the line. Send the light. Oh, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from your soul. listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host brian christian coleman good evening brothers and sisters members of the church of christ and we also like to welcome and greet those who are not members of the church of christ there's something can be said today that can make you have an understanding of law of god's word and you may ask the question what must I do to be saved? Before I begin my lesson this evening, I would like to first thank Brother Stevie Butler, uh, the coordinator and conductor of this great program, and all of you who actually made messages to me. I remember he put a post up just this past weekend prior to my installation as the new associate minister at the Morristown Church of Christ, where Brother uh, Wesley Merrill is the minister. I'd like to thank all of you for your support, especially you, Brother Butler, who made the announcement. And I was very touched, very touched indeed, at the response that came across for the, for, from the uh, messages that was left congratulating me for the achievement that I've accomplished. I ask all of you to please keep me in prayer as I conduct my work that all that I do will be both pleasing and acceptable in the sight of God. This evening, our lesson is going to come from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 19. This is a familiar chapter and verses to those who have been members of the church for at least one week. I'm going to reread these verses, and then we'll go through them a little while. Verses 13 to 19. And the Bible says, when Peter came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one 
of the prophets. He said unto them, For whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If that's in your copy of God's word, say amen. I'd like to speak as the Spirit guides me for a few minutes on this subject. Some say. Some say. You know, we live in a world today where everybody's got something to say. Hello. Man has been talking since the day when man was first created from the dust on the earth. Man will tell you so many things in today's world. They're going to tell you that it's all right to have same-sex marriage. Man says you can marry as many people as you want to. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. If you're not getting along, just go and have a no-fault divorce. Man says that you can wear anything that you want to wear. It's your body, and as long as it looks good on you, it doesn't matter what anyone says. Man says they can say anything they want to say. We live in America. Not me. This is what man says, y'all. We live in America, the land of the free, where I have the First Amendment of the Constitution that guarantees me the right to say what I want to say. Now, you know, that sounds good. And thank God we have the ability to say and have the freedom of speech. But that is not the standard. The Constitution of the United States is not the standard. The Constitution of your state is not the standard. The United States Supreme Court, the highest court in the United States of America, they say they're the standard. But I stopped by to tell you, they're not the standard. Yes, there may be the highest court in the land, but I know that there's a higher court than the Supreme Court of the United States. You may ask the question, well, where is it? What state is it in? Well, I stopped by to tell you, it's not in any of the 50 states or territories in the United States of America. This place is beyond the reach of man. As my, my, the late Dr. Eugene Lawton used to say, you can't climb a space module and reach it. It is past the heavens that we know, the word, and that is in heaven. Hello? You can't get up there in heaven because you're stuck down here with mortal man. And the only book that is the standard and ladies and gentlemen, it's not a man. 
not a man-made legal opinion. It's not a law book. It is not the doctrines and commandments of men, but it is God's word, the Holy Bible. Then you have folks that are going to say, I don't believe this. I don't accept this. I don't think this or that is right. But the Bible doesn't care. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 7 through 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that lets you know that no matter what you think, you can't outmatch God. Say amen when you can. We see in our text, after Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, has crossed over the, the, the sea of, of Philippi, He's tired now, and he's been hearing some things what man has been saying about Jesus. And he asked his disciples, because he wanted to know what was on the grapevine. What were folks saying about me? And he asked the question, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And you know, they started giving us some say report. They said, some say that you're John the Baptist from the dead. Some say you're Elias. Others, Jeremiah. And, Lord, some folks don't even know who you are. They just say that you're a good man, that you're one of the prophets. And he did not accept this some say report. And basically, he asked the question, now, whom do you say that I, the son of man, am? I've gotten what man says, but who do you say that I am? You saw me turn water into wine at a wedding in Canaan. You saw me take two small fish and five barley loaves. And after I prayed over it, I busted and broke out of men, not including women and children, there on that hillside. And, I had, and there was enough food left to create 12 different baskets. You saw me. And remember when we were on a, on a ship on Galilee and you got scurred. Say amen when you can. You got scurred when you saw some lightning and you saw some thunder and you felt you heard some thunder and you saw the waves start rocking the ship and you got scurred and I was downstairs in the bottom of the ship having myself a nap and you woke me up and said, Lord, do you care that we perish? And I stepped up on that deck like a man, but I spoke like God and said, peace, be still. And Bible says there was a great calm. And the question was asked, what manner is this that a man, the man, this man can cause the winds and the waves to obey him? You saw me go by a graveside where there was a four-day-old four dead man by the name of Lazarus. And I went to the gravesite. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And basically Jesus told, him, told her, you're going to see him again. And she said, yes, I know, Lord. But I'll see him at the judgment. He said, at the resurrection, he said, but I am the resurrection. You see, John the Baptist could never say, I am the resurrection. Martin Luther could never say, I am the resurrection. Only Jesus Christ can say, I am the resurrection. And you know, there is something in the name. Now, some people say, well, it don't matter what name you give. But Jesus didn't want everybody to get out of, that, out of the grave 
in that graveyard because if he had did, everybody would have gotten up. He just wanted one man by the name of Lazarus to rise from the dead. And he stood up there and he told him, Lazarus, come forth. And immediately Lazarus came out of the grave alive. Now that lets you know he's got some kind of power. You've seen me do all these miracles. Now I ask you, whom demand, who do you say that I am? You've been with me nearly three years. Tell me who I am. And only Simon Peter. Yes, yeah, Simon Peter, we know about him. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus told, and I told him, blessed art thou, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you. That means, Peter, you're not smart enough to figure this out. You need some help. And you got that help from my father, which is in heaven. And that's when, that's when Jesus says the, says the great opening and, and starting of the church. He said, upon this rock, but not, not any particular rock, but he's letting you know by the rock of your confession, I'm going to build my church, singular now, backed up by a singular pronoun. And he said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, meaning even hell itself will not destroy my church. And thank God we are in the church of Christ. My first point is, some say you can come to church when you feel like it. Hello? Members of the church are getting lazy when it comes to coming to a worship service each and every Sunday. Some members feel all they need to do is come to Sunday morning worship, and they have fulfilled their commitment to God in worshiping him. And those who, who did come do come to church for Sunday morning service, they miss Bible school altogether, y'all. And they got nerve to come in at 11.15, 11.25, and even 11.45 before communion. Now, since we've had COVID and we weren't able to be around each other like we wanted to and have fellowship, we had the ability to look go on television or go on our internet and see virtual worship service. And I think there's a whole lot of members of the Church of Christ who think we're still in the COVID uh, restrictions. Hello, can I get an amen on that? You got some members who still think that all they got to do is roll out of bed and they can stay in their pajamas, stay in their rollers, stay in their shorts, whatever you want to call, and think that it's all right to stay home and worship by, by virtuality, by the cell phone or by the computer. On Monday morning, they're up bright and early to get to work. Say amen if you can. Some feel that they're too busy to come out on Wednesday or Thursday night midweek Bible study. Some feel, why should I come back on Sunday evening service? Some feel that it's not important to come out to support a local gospel meeting and support a congregation that's trying to save souls. Some feel it's, important, it's not important to go out and, and participate in personal evangelism. Come out and hand out some tracts. Go out into the neighborhood and knock on some doors and let the neighborhood know that the Church of Christ is in the neighborhood, and we are here to help you know who Christ is, and we're here to let you know that there's only one church, 
and that church is the church of Christ. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18, Romans 16 and 16. And also, we can tell folk about what we need to do to be saved. We need to give ourselves a checkup from the neck up. We need to remember that God expects us from us regarding our appointment to worship him. And God's been so good to us, brothers and sisters. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. He's provided us traveling grace and arrival mercy. But even back up before you get to traveling grace and arrival mercy, he woke you up this morning on due time. It was not your alarm clock. It was not that someone came by and shook you. It was by his grace, love, and mercy that he woke you up this morning. He gave you a reasonable portion of health and strength that you'll be able to move your limbs and you're able to stand on your own two feet, help me somebody, and you didn't need a walker. You didn't need a cane. You didn't need any mechanical advice to help you get out the bed, but you got up with a reasonable portion of health and strength. You may have had an ache. You may have had a pain. You may have had a little this, a little that. You may have Brother Arthur and Sister Ruma, but you got up this morning. You got up, and you were able to wash yourself. Clothe yourself, feed yourself, and set you out on another day's journey. The Lord came along and gave you some traveling grace and arrival mercy. I'm talking about God is good to us. We got to stop being so lazy and, and lackadaisical when it comes down to our worship service to God. He has given us everything that we need. He puts food on our tables, clothes on our backs. He's given us jobs to go to to make an income. He gives us transportation to get from A to B to C. Say amen when you can. We need to give ourselves a checkup and remind ourselves that the Bible teaches us in John 4, 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews 10, 25 not forsaking the assembly of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching to be in service. Because they're in service, you have an opportunity. I don't care how hurt, I don't care how broke you may feel, how down you may feel. When you're around the saints and you have fellowship with your fellow brothers and sisters, it does something for you. It gives you some, some energy. It gives you what you need so you can be able to face the devil when you come into work on Monday morning. It gives you the encouragement. It gives you the strength you need that you can make an opportunity to teach somebody else about Jesus Christ. Say amen if you can. And you know what? During the pandemic, I miss my brothers and sisters. But talking on the phone with each other, that helped a little bit. But you know I couldn't get back, couldn't wait to get back into Sunday morning worship and hear the late Dr. Eugene Lawton preach, be around my brothers and sisters, and be able to have fellowship. Fellowship, I know I may stand alone by my, at my job, but I know I got back up by my brothers and sisters because I know I'm not standing by myself. Say amen if you can. My second point, some say, it is all right for a woman to preach. Now, y'all help me now. Don't leave me hanging out here by myself. Brother Butler, back me up. 
Now, preacher, you were doing fine. But now you don't went into an area that you really don't understand. Don't you know what kind of age we live in? Don't you know this is the age of ERA? This is the time of women liberation. I mean, we've had a woman who was Secretary of State under two different presidents, two different women. We have a woman now that's the Vice President of the United States of America. You got these women, they're educated. They're more mature, more educated, and well-cultured. Stop by to let you know. I know what age I'm in, but I also know what the Bible teaches us. Now, the apostles, Peter was a man. Matthew was a man. John, Paul, James, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Matthias, all of them were men. Not a woman in the apostolic band. Now, this is still in your Bible, unless you done ripped it out. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and it reads, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame. Somebody may say it's all right. Some say it's okay for a woman to preach. But it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Say amen when you can. And let me just drop this other bomb while I'm flying over on the subject. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 11. What tells us, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor do you exert authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, usurp means they take authority without consultation with the man. They just want to step up and be, be in charge. <clears throat> they want to be large and in charge. But the Bible still says they should not usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, let me just make this point. I admit there's some good women speakers in the Church of Christ. One of them, as some of you have probably heard, Sister Deborah Houston, who is the wife of Dr. Jerry Houston of the Del Crest Church of Christ in San Antonio, Texas. Now, she speaks a great, uh, does a wonderful job, and even her husband commends her for what he, she does. But she knows where she, how far she can go. No woman has been authorized by God to preach. And I stand by what the Bible says. My final point, and I'm going to take my seat off the off the system. Some say that you can be a member of any church. Fashion your seatbelts. Now we're about to have some turbulence. Man says there are so many churches out there in the world today. You can choose what you want to have, what you where you want to go. If you like a lot of music with some soul. There's a church waiting for you. If you like the jumping and running around, there's a church for you. If you like a, a moody jazz type of, of, of church, there's one out there for you. And do you know that there are over 300 denominations in the United States today? 
And all these denominations, they teach things that are not found in the Bible. They are founded by uninspired men that founded their own religious institutions. Now, I ain't picking on nobody, but I'm just going to run down this list real quickly. In 606 A.D. in Rome, now some of you already know these, 1520 in Germany, Martin Luther starts the Lutheran Church. 1534, Henry VIII, King Henry VIII started the Episcopalian Church. And some of you who are Baptists, in 1607 in Holland, John Smythe started the Baptist Church. And I, if I had also, 1872, Charles Cat Russell started the Jehovah's Witness. And also in 1897 in Memphis, Tennessee, C.P. Jones and C.H. Mason, both black men, started the Church of God in Christ. But all these churches started too late. These churches started way too late because the Church of Christ started in A.D. 33 in Jerusalem, and it was established by Jesus Christ. Its foundation is the Son of God. Foundation is found in Matthew 16 and verse 18, which we read a little while ago. It is, a, it is the laid foundation, 1 Corinthians 3 and 11. It is a tried foundation, Isaiah 28 and 16. It is apostolic foundation, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 20. It's designation by apostolic authority. Christ called it my church. Matthew 16 and 18, the kingdom, Luke 22, 30, Luke 18 and 36, the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 16 and verse 19. The apostles called it the church, Colossians 1, 18, Ephesians 1, 22, Ephesians 3, 10, Ephesians 5, 23 and 32. It is called the church of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 1 and 2, Galatians 1, 13, the churches of Christ. Romans 16 and 16, the household of God, 1 Timothy 3, 15, the house of God, the household of God, Ephesians 2, 19, the kingdom of God, Acts 2, Acts 28, 23, and 31, the kingdom of God's dear son, Colossians 1, 13, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Hebrews 12 and 28. And I stopped by to tell you, it's talking about the church of Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now in closing, you will never, you're not going to find any church like the Church of Christ. It's the only church that you're going to find in God's Word, the Bible. It's the only church that baptizes properly in burial baptism. In the Church of Christ, we do not sprinkle. We do not pour. We do not just, we baptize for the remission of sin. This is the only church that you can go to, that you're not going to find an organ. You're not going to find a tambourine. You're not going to find any, any uh, instrumental music because the Bible teaches us the thing. Ephesians 5, 19, Hebrews 2, 12. In the Church of Christ, you will not find the minister called reverend. Hello, because only reverend is only mentioned once in the Bible. Psalms 111, verse 9. He sent redemption unto his people. He commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. And that's talking about God. And when a preacher wants to call himself a reverend, guess what? He's calling himself God. 
also, this is the only church where we're going to give, take the communion like we're supposed to, upon the first day of the week, which is each and every Sunday, Acts 20 and 7. You got churches out here, they're taking it once a month, quarterly, semi-annually, annually, every day, or netherly. You, but the thing is, they have no problem taking up that money every Sunday. Hello? See, they don't miss that money. But if the same phraseology goes with the money, the same phraseology goes with the communion. If not, why not? It's just intellectual dishonesty by not taking the communion. And it's the only church that's going to go to heaven one day. Now, I say this before I can, as I close. Everybody in the Church of Christ is not right. Say amen when you can. I can, I can guarantee you one thing. The Church of Christ is right. The members, that's another thing. But it's the only church that you can find in the Holy Scripture, the Bible. You may ask, Brother Coleman, how do I become a member of the Church of Christ? Well, you've got to hear the gospel, Romans ten seventeen. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You've got to believe what you've heard, John 8, 24. Except you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. And Jesus goes on and says, if you die in your sins where I am, you cannot come. Then you must repent of your sins. Repent means make a change in your life. Stop going the way toward, the, to the, toward Satan and make a change and go toward Christ. Luke 13, 3 and 5, the Bible says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then you must confess the sweetest words that you will ever say. Acts chapter, <clears throat> Acts 2 and verse 47. I'm sorry, Acts 11, verse 36. He, basically, the eunuch confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And immediately he was baptized for the remission of his sins, Acts 2, 38. And when you get baptized, you are washed away of your sins, Acts 22, 16. You become a new creature, John 3 and 5. You become a child of God, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And you are added to the church of Christ, Acts 2, 47. See, man, they add you, but you're not. The thing is this. They got to vote on you first before they add you. Now, how can a bunch of sinners turn around around and vote on you as a sinner? Hello? The Bible teaches because we have all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have gone the wrong direction, but we're still members of the Church of Christ. We still have fellowship with him as long as we repent of our sins and work hard and ask God for guidance and direction to be better Christians. My brothers and sisters, I don't know what's on your heart tonight, but I pray that you take the opportunity to know God. I pray that you get out there, question, where is the church? Lay, lay my sin, uh, be forgiven of my sins. You need to be asking right now, take, <laughs> excuse me, brothers and sisters, take me to the water. That's all at this time. I pray God will bless you and keep you through this day and bless you to be able to fellowship with the Church of Christ. And if you are a member of the church and you haven't been attending the way you should, I recommend and encourage you to do so because time is getting short and we need to make ourselves our calling an election sure. May God bless all of you. May God keep you this the rest of this week and up to this coming Sunday. Thank you for your time and your and your patience. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
And if you miss me from singing, singing. And you can't find me nowhere, nowhere. Come on up to glory. glory I'll be singing the fair Yes, I will And I know the Lord He will greet me Over yonder Over on the other shore Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out, question. We have a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out that we want to pose to my co host, Yusuf Al Ford. He serves as the evangelist for the Livingstone Church of Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana. And also want to encourage our listeners to get 
go to that group on social media, Facebook, and get involved in those biblical discussions. You, sir, Al Ford, how you doing, my brother? Good evening, CVB. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. I thank you for inviting me. I am ready. All right. Here is the question that we have from the anonymous queries. And the question is, why do some Christians think Genesis creation story in the Bible is an allegory? Did Bible writers think it was an allegory? What say you to this question? So the question, why do some Christians think Genesis creation story in the Bible is allegory? Thank you. That's a very interesting question. That sounds almost like a question for Solomon. But I think we can answer that. I want to share with you a story in answering those questions. And I think if I do it this way, we'll be better able to understand the question. Suppose, for example, you spent the next 13 years creating a robot. You spent, for example, 80 hours, maybe 80 hours a week, all of your spare money, all of your spare time, working on this project by yourself. You spent maybe a couple of years uh, research and development as for all of the you know all of the expertise in uh, electronics and programming milling and all of the other crafts that would go into preparing this robot 13 years later is finished so you fire this robot up <laughs> or activate this robot. You call it, just for simplicity's sake, Siri, because everyone's familiar with Siri and Alexa. So you program it with Siri because Siri is sort of AI. And you, you activate the robot and you say, Siri, yes, turn on the lights. And Siri turns on the lights. That's your robot. Siri, yes. Fix dinner. <laughs> and you see this robot walk over to the kitchen, open the, the refrigerator, pull out food, go into the pantry, pull out things, go into the sink, pull out pans and pots. And you're like, you're sitting there, you're looking at this robot, and I know you're blown away because this is something you created with your own hands. Intelligence. And you're watching this robot perform, and I know you have to be excited. Six months later, you come home from work, you walk in the door, and you say, Siri, but there's nothing. You hear nothing. No reply. So you walk in the door, and you kind of wonder and scratching your head, what in the world's going on? So you say, Siri. Still nothing. You walk in your room and Siri, your robot, is sitting in the chair. And you say to your robot, Siri, did you not hear me? 
And the robot says, I heard you. And you say to the robot again, Siri, get up and start dinner. No. <laughs> At that point, what would you what would you think? So you say you say it again, Siri, get up and make dinner. No. Siri, why are you programmed? I am programmed to make your life better. Then why won't you go make dinner? Because you're lazy. What? Siri, get up and go make dinner. No. And your robot begins to argue with you. It begins to debate you. It begins to put you down. It begins to look like it's about ready to stand up and fight you. So at that point, what would you do? It's like Stevie B. Uh, Siri, play the next ex excerpt, the next uh, program. No. Most of us would be ready to pull the plug, especially the part where it looks like it's about ready to engage in some physical uh, combat. Or it malfunctions and self-destroys uh, self itself by allowing its parts to fall off. Now, that's an allegory. That's an allegory of the creative story, the creation story. And, and what I, I try to create here is something that we can all be familiar with. And so when we answer the question, when I'm, you know, the question was asked, so did the writers um, of the of the Genesis creation story in the Bible believe it was allegory. I say yes, they absolutely did. And for those of you who are scratching your head right now, let's first define the word allegory. Allegory is a story that can be interpreted to reveal hidden meaning or some sort of moral or political meaning. And so does does Genesis 1, 2, and 3 have hidden meanings? Yes, they absolutely do. Now, here's something else to keep in mind. Think about this for a moment. The word Genesis, it means the origin or the beginning, but it's not the beginning of God. God has no beginning. In Moses, when speaking to Moses in Exodus, when uh, after his introduction, uh, Moses asked Jehovah, "Well, what shall I, what shall I tell your your people? Your name is?" And he said, "I am that I am," which is an interpretation of "I have always been and always will be." So Genesis, as we look at it, is not the beginning of God, but rather is the beginning or the creative story of the universe and the earth in which we now live in. So chapter uh, chapter 1 and verse 8 says, And God called uh, the firmament heaven. So he, be, he created the heaven and the earth. Not, not the, the heaven in where he lives, but the universe in which we live. That is what he is referring to as the heaven. So, I'll call the book of Genesis, especially especially the first um, 
several chapters, God's creation or uh, God's creation of the natural time and events, the past, uh, the present and the future. That's what that's what we refer to Genesis as. So did the writers of the Bible know that the creative story was allegory? Yes, they did. We can pick words. Here's the here's the fun thing and the and the most simple way or approach to understanding what Genesis sort of is. We can just sort of pick words. For example, um, in the in the in the first few verses of Genesis, we read God created light, and God said, "Let there be light." For example. So what was that light? It wasn't the light of the sun, because remember, he created the sun after he created light, he created the sun and the moon and the stars. But that was several verses before he said, let there be light. And there was light goes, goes to St. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So what was that light? And we look at that specific word light that he was referring to. Is there a deeper meaning in Genesis for the word light. And when you fast forward thousands of years later, when Jesus was on earth and during his ministry, he spoke on that in John chapter 8 and verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Every, all through Genesis, especially through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see the Lord um, Christ manifestation in different forms. In this particular form, the hidden, the, the hidden surprise or the hidden layer was the light being the Messiah or the truth and what it represented. For example, in St. John 1 verse 7, Jesus said to his, or 1 John, I'm sorry, um, 1 verse 7, John says to the church, but if we walk in the light, okay, the sunlight, no, the spiritual light, the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so that light that we read about in Genesis, the layer, the allegory, the story was really deeper than and more uh, about truth and righteousness and uh, in a spiritual light more so than a physical light. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, for example, Jesus tells his disciples, ye are the light of the world. And if you look at it in that sense, we're more than just human beings on the surface. But the way God views his people and our true essence is not physical, it's spiritual. And the same thing will be true with uh, darkness. John chapter one speaks of light and darkness as it relates to the beginning of time. Listen to this. John one, verse four and five, he said in him was life who in Christ and the life was the light of man or of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it back going all the way back to Genesis to try to help 
the disciples understand and open up their minds to what the creative story was, what it was saying, but what it was really, what it really entailed was not just physical light or something that they were viewing on the surface had a much deeper uh, meaning than what they were looking at in the book of Genesis. So did writers understand the allegory? Yes, Moses certainly did. Moses knew and spoke about it on many, in many, uh, on many occasions. And he knew its meaning because he was the one that actually penned the book of Genesis. You know, that was part of the Torah, the five books. So John in Revelation, fast forward all the way to the end of time, the, the person who's writing about the end events, the end of time, and talking about events that happened in the beginning in heaven, even before the earth was created. The book of Revelation uh, saw and spoke of uh, the relationship between, for example, animal sacrifices and Adam and Eve and how it relates to us. And those animals that were sacrificed for the, for the uh, nakedness of man, that again was another allegory because it was, it was on the surface, it looked like it was dealing with the physical realm, but it, it actually was uh, dealing with our life. The life, you know, the time that when which we're living now and the spiritual aspects. For example, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 45. And so it, it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Who was that last Adam? It was Christ. And so you look at Adam at face value and you think, OK, well, he was the first man and a woman. But. When God was dealing with Adam, it was he had more in store. It was more there was more there. Revelation chapter thirteen verse eight. Uh, the writer says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So even the Lamb that was slain, as I understand it, those coats that were made from that sacrificial animal that covered the sins of Adam and Eve or their nakedness was really referring to the Lamb of God that would sacrifice his life to cover the nakedness and the sin of mankind. Think of the worst, um, the word rest for a minute, because that's another word. Again, when you take these just single words and look them Look them up in the in a concordance or in your Bible or Google or however you search your search engine and start looking at these words and you'll begin to discover that there's a correlation between Genesis and and the Messiah and his and, and heaven and the work of, of the Lord. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> OK, Genesis chapter two, verse two and three. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all the work which God created and made. So this rest that he's talking about, is it just, was it the rest from the the creative story? 
the creation? Is that is that the rest that God was talking about? I think a speaker not too long ago on Stevie's program um, sort of dove into that. But it, again, I just I'm, I'm just going to touch on a few of these items so that we can see that yes, it, it is an allegory. It's a story that, but it reveals something far more than what you see on the surface. Because David even spoke of this in Psalms chapter ninety-five, verse ten, and eleven. Forty years long, he said. Uh, speaking of God, I was grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath. They shall not enter into my rest. And so. Was the rest the, referring to that which God took on the on the seventh day? No, it was re- actually referring to heaven. And so when you when you read those passages, you immediately know the reference is heaven is is a rest for the people of God. Now I believe that the caller, um, this 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 question sort of generated from the language of Galatians chapter four verse twenty two through thirty five, where Paul wrote, "It is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other of a free." But he that was born, he who was born of the bondwoman, I'm sorry, was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one on Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So those, again, this is something that was written in the book of Genesis. But Paul reveals to us that when you're looking at the, when the Jews looked at this, at you know, in their time, the only thing they could see was Abraham, Sarah and Agar and the two sons and the conflicts that they had and the, and that which they're still having. Uh, unfortunately, I think we're, you know, Israel sort of experiencing that now and pray for them because uh, and pray for everyone that's involved in that conflict in the Middle East again. Israel is at war again. So we see here again another example of the allegory where it's, it's, it's saying something on the surface, but there's something totally different there. What about the elements? What about the wise men? And as as the Bible in Genesis talked about the different things, as we mentioned earlier, the, the moon, the stars, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Well, let's let's take a look at that because you can't always just look at things as at face value. And I'll give you an example: Matthew chapter two, verse one. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, "Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him." What is is it a physical star? Are the stars that God created in Genesis just physical stars? Are those the you know the in in the astral belts, the solar system outside our solar system, and the known universe that are burning out there with gas? No, Revelation chapter two uh, twenty two verse sixteen, uh, the Bible says, "And I Jesus has sent mine angel to testify to you these things." In the churches, I am the root of and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. 
So again, when we see God created the the sun and the moon and the stars, and in the day that God created these these uh, these forms and these entities, they're not necessarily referring to physical physical things. What about the Old Testament writers? Joseph told a story to his father. I thought this story was interesting for those of you who may not have read it in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph was a dreamer and he told his brethren many stories, uh, many stories, but they, they really did not like him because you know how people are, you know, when you have a gift and, and God blesses you and you see things that other people don't see. Sometimes they envy that they envy those people. And this was one of those cases. And, the Bible says, and he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and your mother and thy brethren indeed come and bow down ourselves to the ground before you? Um, Yes. Because it happened in Genesis chapter 42, verse six. I won't read that verse, but it's, it's there. They came. You, you, most of you know the story. They had to bow down because he was uh, the prime minister, basically, of Egypt. He was second in control and power in the land of Egypt. And they fell before him. They had to actually come and fall before him. And so in this reference, the sun and the moon and the stars referred to the family of Abraham, the grandchildren, uh, the son, grandson, and great-grandsons of Abraham and his seed. So stars can refer to those who are prominent individuals in God's kingdom. What about, what about evil, evil stars? Are stars evil? Yeah. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nation? So Lucifer was one of those uh, evil, evil stars, if you will, that was cast out of heaven. And that sort of goes along with the story, sort of how this all began. And Revelation, you know, Revelation has a lot to say about the be, you know, the fall of 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 the angels and for the most for the most uh, how we came to be in the situation that we are in now and why we're here. Um, another example of that is revelation chapter one, verse 16 and tw- uh, 10, 20. It says, and he had in his right hand referring to Christ in his right hand, seven stars. And he said, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven golden candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. And so, again, a- another example of another layer. I love that. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. What is that referring to? The church, the apostles, the kingdom, and Satan, if you read that chapter. And so, in conclusion, Genesis 1 and 3 represent an allegory of the fall and the rescue of mankind. Actually, 
everything that God says as you read it has a deeper meaning. So this is why Jesus encouraged us in St. John 5 and verse 39. Search the scriptures. Search them out. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify me out. The entire Bible is a mystery. And so if you just read on the surface without going in and spending some time and doing some research and looking at words and you know buy a concordance from half price bookstore ask one of the members of the church a deacon or an elder or the preacher can you borrow his his concordance i'm sure it'd be more than happy to they'd be more than happy to lend it to you because you really need to look deeper into these scriptures to understand what god's will is and so i thank you for your time tonight i hope this helped answer the question Thank you very much, Brother Stevie, for allowing me to share some words with your congregation or with the congregations that are listening to your broadcast uh, tonight and each week. And I want to continue to ask you to pray for me and my family, our congregation and my ministry, that God will continue to strengthen me and give me uh, an understanding of a better understanding of his word as I study each, each day. God bless you. And until the next time. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I know, Lord, I know the Lord. He'll take care. He'll take care. Take care of me. Oh, yeah. Yes, he will. He will. I know the
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This is a program reminder. Stevie B Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. The telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, the second third and fourth Tuesday of the month I'm hosting the live show, What a Word from the Lord radio show. On the second Tuesday of the month, that show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we'll have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ. We'll be making that proclamation of the Gospel of Christ. And also during that show, we have the Community Corner segment, that segment designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs. We have products and services for our community. My, I have two co-hosts on that show, Lou Gilbert, he's the evangelist for the Overbrook Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, he serves with the Church of Christ in Cary, North Carolina. Then on the third Tuesday of the month, that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host is Dr. Antherica Lane. She's a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She serves with the Gray Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she'll be hosting her show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. And then on the fourth Tuesday of the month, that show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host is Kelly Fletcher. She serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she'll be hosting her show, The Kelly Fletcher Show. Then on Thursday evening, each week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting the live show, The Gospel Light Radio Show. And I have eight co-hosts on this show, uh, Clay Phillips. Dr. Frank Washington, Steve Porter, Robert Lee Johnson, Glenn McMillian, Brian Christian Coleman, Yusuf Al Ford, and Stanley Hubbard. And on this broadcast, my co-host will be making a proclamation of the gospel of Christ each week on the broadcast. And I also have a question from my social media platform, Facebook, that I'll be posting to one of my co-hosts on that live show as well. Then on Friday night, I'm hosting a live show, Stevie B. Acapella Gospel Music Blast. And this radio show, the 2022 recipient for the LaCama National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award for Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. This show will air at 9 p.m. from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. On this broadcast, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices, who are also interviewing artists, producers, writers, etc. We're also debuting new music and featuring old music as well. 
And every third Friday of the month, I have my top 20 countdown show. We also have on-demand episodes where we're getting your favorite podcasts from. You can go to the various musical platforms and just search for Stevie B Media Productions, whether it be Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube, just to name a few. We also have recorded version shows, and these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio and Deezer, and also on Amazon Music. And want to thank our sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you'd like to become a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Stevie B Media Production. It is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate. We want to edify. We want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Live radio show. My co-host, Glenn McMillian is up next after the break. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. How many can testify this morning that the Lord is worthy of all the praise, the glory, and the honor? Gave his life on Calvary for a sinner like you and me. So we ought to just give God the highest praise. Just to tell him thank you. Y'all want to help me this morning? Won't you help me sing? Hallelujah. Help me sing, yeah. Yeah. No, he's worthy of praise, glory, and honor. I'm going to give him the high praise for all of my days. Y'all don't mind. Just let me tell you a few reasons why we should praise him. Come on. See, God that woke us all up the morning. Yeah. Clothes on the back, food on the table, unstable. Why we ought to give him the highest praise? That ain't all he done, all he done. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet for a sinner like you and me. That's why we ought to praise him in this land. Y'all, we still deserve it. No. Come on, we ought to give him all praise. And y'all, come on and help me sing this song right here. I said, let the spirit, let it rise. Come on, let the spirit, let it rise. The praises of the I King, He's our King. Well, I'm gonna, and you wanna, we've got Sing this song right here. Come on. Tell them. I said, Lord, the people praise you. 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co host, Glenn McMillian. Good evening. Uh, welcome once again to the Gospel Light Radio Show. And tonight we're going to uh, kind of have a second shout it out question, but, but uh, it's not really a shout it out question. It's going to be a, more of a, uh, a deep dive into something that. I did post on Shout It Out once. So as, if you've been a, a listener to the show for, for a while, you know that I am one of the moderators of the Shout It Out uh, platform that we have where people can post uh, Bible questions. And as the moderator, I sometimes uh, will go out and I will 
scour the internet for uh, interesting Bible questions to post in the in in the forum in order for us to have uh, interesting biblical conversations. And the questions that I pick are are usually not <laughs> easily answered. Uh, Biblical questions, just a matter of looking at a couple of verses, but they're, they're designed to uh, get us to think, get us to have a conversation and to engage with uh, usually people who, who don't share our faith, who don't share our values. And so they're coming at the Bible from a perspective that we don't often look at. And so I try to challenge us to uh, think a little bit harder. And, and, and think from the perspective of somebody who's coming uh, from the outside and how would you respond to this type of question? And, and, and sometimes when I do this and I, I post these questions, they, they, people understand, they, they kind of get the assignment and they, they, they actively engage with the question in that way and we have a, a decent discussion. And then other times, like with this one that we're going to talk about tonight, it kind of falls like a lead balloon. And, and so I kind of wanted to to take this opportunity to to re-examine this question and really give it the uh, the weight that it deserves because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, around the subject. And so the question is, what did Jesus sacrifice on the cross? Now, from at the surface, it doesn't seem like a very difficult question, right? I mean, we, we, we know the story. Jesus gave his life for us so that we could have eternal life. So what makes this a challenging question? What makes this a question that a person from outside the community of Christianity would would ask and and want an answer to it. Why are they asking the question? This this is the thing that I always want people to think about before they answer a question that I that I pose is who is asking this question and why. And once you start thinking about that, then you get a get a better uh, sense of what your answer really should entail in order to. Uh, to get at what the person really needs to know in order to have a, an understanding of what we're all about and why it should be attractive to us. Because from the outside, from the, from the perspective of a person who's not a Christian but knows the story of Christianity, Jesus, who is God, died on the, on the cross, but God can't die, so he really didn't die on the cross. He didn't, he didn't lose anything. He took a nap for, you know, depending on how you want to read Jewish time indicators, which can, which can be a little ambiguous, anywhere from 24 to 36 hours or 72 hours, uh, took a nap in a, in a cave and then got up. Um, and then, you know, he spent a spent a long weekend taking a nap and then got up. So no big deal. Nothing was lost. So how could anything be gained uh, from this interaction, from this 
this transaction. There, if, if Jesus, as God, couldn't really die in, an, in, a, in a permanent sense or even in a temporary sense, since he was God, then how does that action of his human flesh going to the cross and shedding blood have anything to do with our salvation? How, how does it even remotely have the weight that is given to it in Scripture? And so since that concept seems on the surface absurd to them, they don't really do any further investigation of it. They kind of say, this doesn't make any sense. And if you respond with the typical answer, well, Jesus gave his life on the cross, well, it's done. Everybody knows that. So you haven't given me any additional information that makes this make any more sense to me than it already, you know, than it already did. So I'm not really going to engage uh any further, because it doesn't mean anything to me. It, there's, there doesn't seem to be anything there. So it behooves us as Christians to, when somebody comes at us with this question, to really take on the fact that, okay, where is this person coming from? Why are they asking this question? What, what do they need to understand about the sacrifice of Christ that is going to make it more meaningful to them in a way that they can understand. So I'm going to attempt to do that tonight and to give us some um, some context in which we can can put this idea of the sacrifice of Christ so that we can explain this in a way that they may not agree, but at least they'll understand where we're coming from when we say that the sacrifice of Christ had meaning uh, beyond just Jesus taking a nap for three days. Um, so let's let's go to Scripture and, and see what what does the Bible say in terms of what did Jesus give up on the cross? What was the the sacrifice, the, the great sacrifice that was made? On our behalf, and honestly, when we when we really look into this, I could probably have named this this sermon instead of the great sacrifice, the great sacrifices, because there may be more than one thing here that we really need to look at. Turn with me to Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight, and I know we know this this passage; it's very familiar to us, uh, but again. In this context, in the context of answering this question, it might be a little bit more meaningful uh, than the other verses that we might uh, we might go to. So it, it it reads, "Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a bondservant." And being born in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. So we see here that there are a couple of things that Paul is, is 
bringing out as being part of the sacrificial attitude of Christ. Let's deal with the, the second one, the, the most, the more obvious one, the one that we, we came here to deal with first, that being in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. The point of death on the cross is the foundation, is the uh, the pivotal point in, in Christian theology, that, that death on the cross is the game changer where the Old Testament, when it begins, our ability to be, be redeemed from, from sin, it's all wrapped up in this pivot point of the death on the cross. So we have to be able to explain <laughs> what happened here. What, why is this significant in a way that makes all of this possible? And I think that we we understand the concept of the heroic sacrifice. I think this this is a a common trope that we see throughout of all of our uh, our movies and our television and our our, our books. Any type of fantasy, sci-fi movie or, or, or book that you've ever watched or read has this concept of, of the heroic sacrifice in it. And, and it's always, almost always accompanied by the, resur- the subsequent resurrection uh, of the hero that makes this heroic sacrifice on the part of their friends. And there are reasons for that. Number one, that uh, we're Americans, so we we can't possibly have our stories end without a happy ending. So the resurrection is necessary for the the happy ending to take place, number one. But number two, obvious parallel is obvious, right? We we get a, a parallel between the Christian theology that we all grew up with in this character making a, a heroic sacrifice and then eventually being resurrected before the end of the story. And that makes us feel good. Does the fact that we know going into the story that the heroic character is going to be resurrected from this sacrifice cheapens the sacrifice of the story? Does it take away from the impact of, of the story? Some would argue that it does a little bit, but I think – In fiction, we kind of give it a pass because in the universe, the heroic character doesn't know (laughs) that that the magical uh, resurrection begotten at the end of the story is available to them. The the hero makes a sacrifice that is uh, to them real, to the characters in the universe real, and then the resurrection comes to, to bring them back so that we can have the, the happy ending of the story. And we understand that, that that sacrifice still has meaning because, at least at the time, the hero didn't know that the resurrection was coming. The problem that people have with the resurrection in the Bible is that Jesus knows that this resurrection is coming, that, that, that this is going to take place. He preaches it to the apostles on several occasions. 
that the Son of Man would have to go and face trials, be be crucified on the cross, and then would be resurrected on the third day. He he knows this. He he's told them that it's going to happen. He there there's no surprises there. So again, in that sense, in that context, the the outsider, the person that is that is asking this question, is going okay. So there. If there's no there's no mystery to this. There's no him knowing or, or being confused or, or, or unsuspecting about whether or not this resurrection is going to happen, whether or not this this thing is going to, to to take place. So, how does this sacrifice have any weight to it? How does it have any meaning beyond again a very a very short period of time that is going to be an inconvenience for him and then we're going to put all of our uh, spiritual hopes and dreams onto this this transaction. This should be in, in the, the lifespan of, of a God uh, who According to Christian theology, is eternal. He's been he's been there from the beginning. He's going to be there into eternity. How is three days of being in a tomb a a meaningful period of time? A, a meaningful interaction. And there's a couple of different ways that we can can come at this, right? We know for a fact <laughs> that even though our, our outsider friend is characterizing this as no big deal, or it's, it's something that should not have been a big deal to a divine uh, personage as, as God or Jesus, that is not actually what we see. That's not how this is recorded. If we go to Luke chapter 22 and we look at uh, Jesus preparing for this event to take place. We look at verse 44. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, this sweating blood thing is not some kind of mysterious or uh, miraculous thing that, that just happened to Jesus and, and doesn't happen in real life. This is, this is a real condition. Uh, doctors call it hematohydrosis, and it is, a, a, it is known to be precipitated by stress, strain, or any sort of extreme physical exertion. So what we see here, and that, that comes from the National, National Library of Medicine uh, in the, uh, <laughs> the article on hematohydrosis. So what we're seeing here is that Jesus knows that this is coming, has been preparing for this to, to happen for at least the 33 years that he was on earth, if not eternity before then. Um, and now that it is coming close, he is so in agony, so stressed about going through this process that he is experiencing symptoms that we recognize as being associated with extreme 
levels of stress. This is not no big deal to Jesus. So what is going on? If, it, if it's just a three days in a tomb, why is that so stressful to an eternal being? Well, number one, uh, without uh, putting too fine a point on it and, and going into too too much detail, the the amount of time someone goes through a traumatic event does not negate how traumatic it is. I think that we all can identify situations that, in reality, last only moments, but create lifetimes worth of trauma. And if you've had a traumatic experience, one of these traumatic types of experiences, you know that just because it was a short amount of time, a couple of minutes in a lifetime, no big deal, right? Say that to a person that has been through one of these events, that it was it should have been no big deal because it was just a few minutes of their time. You, you come off as a very callous, very insensitive person if you say that, right? You you, you understand that the, the amount of time that they spent going through the trauma or, or having the event happen to them doesn't negate the traumatic effect of it. <laughs> That's not a that's not an excuse to say, well, because God is eternal, this this event that only lasted a couple of days should not be have have an impact on. If a, if a traumatic event is a traumatic event, no matter how long it lasts. But you'll say, uh, Jesus is God. So does does God experience trauma in the way that we experience trauma? And the, the answer to that question is going to be wrapped up in the second part of this this uh, this scenario. So so let's table that discussion for a second, and let's go back to Philippians chapter two, because I think that we if we understand the first thing that Jesus sacrificed, then we'll understand the second sacrifice a lot more. So again, going back to the verse, having this, have this attitude in, in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider it to, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. That sounds like a sacrifice to me, and that sacrifice was made well before the cross. Jesus had the nature of God, existed in the form of God, had equality with God in every meaningful way, and did not consider that something to be grasped. The, the, that, that term grasped there literally means to be held onto, to be tightly held so that, you know, no one can take it from you. That, that you're going to fight anybody who tries to take that from you. He didn't consider that equality with God something he needed to, to hold on to, to, to fight for. He was willing to give that, empty himself of equality with God so that he could grow, become in the form 
of humans. He could become a man just like we are human beings. And so God became human so that God could experience humanity. And this is a hard thing for for us to really comprehend because we have God and we understand God to be omnipotent. He knows everything. He knows what we're going to do before we do it, as, as we often say. But knowing things is very different from experiencing things, and I think that we all understand. It's, it's, it's one thing to have the knowledge of something, to, to be very well-read on it, to be able to talk through different scenarios. It's much different when you have to actually live through those things, when you have to actually experience it, you have to actually feel it. We're, we're talking about Jesus being in the form of God, Jesus being in the place of God. Jesus could have stayed in the comfort of heaven and, and never come to this cursed planet. Knows what we're going through, knows that there are issues here, knows that there are temptations there knows that there is pain and suffering here, is very much aware of it, could, could have very much have empathy for us, sympathy for us. But having not experienced it, he's still, still very much disconnected from it. But Jesus decides that that's not the way I'm going to be able to relate to my creation. That's not going to be the way that we're going to be able to have a relationship. We're not going to be able to connect with each other unless I have intimate knowledge, intimate experience with what they are dealing with. So God, who has, you know, I mean, he designed us to be able to feel pain because being able to feel pain is useful <laughs> from a survival perspective. Um, it's inconvenient for, for a lot of reasons, but we understand why we have the ability to feel pain. God didn't have to do this. He didn't have to uh, experience the pain that we experience, but he chose to so that he could know exactly what pain is. And I think that what the people that make this argument overlook is that, you know, Jesus didn't die just like, you know, on his, on his deathbed, in, you know, in his, you know, in his room, in his sleep, with his disciples all around him in comfort. He, he chose to take on one of the most brutal forms of execution that human beings have ever conceived. And that pain, willingly taking that on, 
when he didn't have to, willingly taking on the sins of the entire world when he was sinless in order to be the propitiation for us. He takes on that humanity, and that humanity is both the the thing that he is taking on as a as a burden. So, so we often think of sacrifice in terms of things that we have to give up in order to do something else, or to if we we sacrifice, we give up something in order to allow something else to happen. And and generally, uh, that's what sacrifice entails. But there are other types of sacrifices. And sometimes sacrificing means taking on something. Men often sacrifice by taking on jobs that they would rather not have in order to provide for the family, in order to make enough money <laughs> to, to, to take care of the family. That is a sacrifice. It's not giving up something. It's taking on, you're giving up time. You're giving up, you know, but the, the tangible things, but the, the reality is you're, you're taking on a burden in order to have something better come across. And Jesus takes on humanity in order to understand humanity, in order to have a connection to humanity. And that entails having a human life that he has cultivated over 33 years and then giving up that human life in the most painful way possible in this uh, transaction on the cross. And then, again, we'll go back to our, our friends, and they say, okay, Maybe we'll give you all of that. But then now that's over, right? He's gone back and he is in heaven. And all that stuff has, has, is, is over. Why, why are we still, it, you know, it, again, it's, it's a blip in the timeline of God. Why does it still carry all of this weight? What has Jesus lost that he can't get back? Or what has he taken on? that he hasn't divested himself of uh, in this situation. And again, that goes back to his humanity. If we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, listen closely to what Paul said. Let's look at verse 5. For there is one God, one mediator, also between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Did you catch it? Let's read it again, slowly. For there is, present tense, one God and one mediator between God and man, who the man, Christ Jesus. Not the God, Christ Jesus, not the exalted, eternal being, Christ Jesus, 
the man Christ Jesus, the human Christ Jesus, he retains that burden. He retains that humanity because he needs it in order to continue this function of being a mediator between God and man. In order to be a mediator, you have to have one foot in both parties. You have to be able to connect with them, not have former knowledge of the thing, but current (laughs) understanding. And so Jesus is the perfect mediator because he has been the God man, not only has been the God man, continues to be both God and man until such time as it's no longer necessary to do so. So so Jesus has sacrificed, given us equality with God, taken on a burden of humanity, a human life with human experiences, human existence, sacrificed that human life, allowed that human body to be broken in such a way that he felt all of the pain that a human could possibly feel, uh, both emotionally, mentally, physically, allowed that blood to be be shed for us. The the, the punishment that that was rightfully ours uh, passes away from us. And then retains that humanity, even in his exalted state. We, We see him in his exalted, resurrected body, but he still bears the scars of his experience. He has ascended to the right hand of God. So Paul is telling us he still is the man, Christ Jesus. He still has that aspect to him. So when we understand the sacrifice or the sacrifices that Christ made on our behalf in a much deeper way, and we are able to explain these things in a way that shows the fullness of what God allowed himself or allowed his son to go through in order so to have that relationship with us. Again, a person from the outside still might not understand, or might not get it. They might not agree with all the things that we want, but hopefully we're, we're do, we've done a better job of getting them to understand where we're coming from and why this has so much power to us. Checking the clock, so you see if I have time. No, I don't. <laughs> so we're going to have to end it here. Uh, I think I hope that this has uh, been enough to uh, help you to understand, help you to be able to have a a foundation that you can use to to explain this concept, explain the the importance of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our sins in a way that makes sense. And, and it, I hope that it adds uh, a little bit of, of power, a little bit of, uh, of, of weight to it for you, and that you are able to, to share that in a 
in a more cogent way to somebody who may ask you this question. What did Jesus sacrifice on the cross? He sacrificed a whole lot. He gave up a whole lot just to have a relationship with us. And that should be all the reason that we need to bow down and worship him. Lesson is yours. Thank you for listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Uh, I'll close this out with a, a, a word of prayer. Dear God and Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us. We thank you for giving us this opportunity to get into your word and to, to just allow it to speak to us this evening, Father. We thank you for the efforts of all the men that have brought lessons this evening, Father. We ask that you will bless their efforts, Father. We ask that the words that they have imparted to our audience will not go void, Father, but will touch somebody's life and enrich them in some way, Father. Watch over us. Bring us back at the next point in time, ready and willing to do this all again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Here's a different point of view. Different point of view. Here's a different point of view. Different point of view. A refreshing change For the benefit of you Tired of this living Enough of this life This can be living If you had enough To say
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us this evening in a study of God's Word. I want to thank both of my co-hosts, Glenn McMillian and Brian Christian Coleman, for their efforts on the show this evening. Great lessons from both gentlemen on the broadcast. Certainly appreciate them. And also want to thank my co-host, Yusuf Al Ford, for answering that question. He did a great job answering that question as well. I really appreciate everyone who participated on the show this evening. It is my prayer that the lessons that were given on this broadcast have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because not only tuning in this radio broadcast, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. So until we meet again, I pray God's continual blessings upon your lives and that he bless you real Real good. You've been listening to the Gospel Light radio show on behalf of all of my co-hosts here. We really do appreciate your love and support for these programs. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light radio show.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.